0: What the footy? What the FOOTY? What the footy? What
1: the footy? knew Sam Allardyce liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's <laughs> a Powerful
0: people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the Football right way.
1: Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being that so well in the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. Sup guys, it's your boy Paul, a.k.a. Mr. What the Footy, your favourite podcast host. Welcome to the What the Footy podcast, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Today, probably the biggest episode I've done so far really, I'm joined by a Premier League club doctor, uh, Dr. Matt, how you doing man?
0: Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Um, glad to be on um, and you know, funny Yeah, no, definitely. No, definitely, I think ever
1: since a mutual friend obviously put put me in touch, I was like, I've got, I've got to get, uh, I've got to get Matt on to sort of speak about the ins and outs of what what it's like to obviously work work within the Premier League, and obviously like a new segment that we just brought into the into the podcast is what the foot are you lying for? Why lying for? It's essentially a glorified version of two truths, one lie. So Matthew, take us away with your uh, two truths, one lie.
0: <laughs> right okay um what i got for you okay by on. the way
1: by the way i'm currently losing 4-2 because obviously episode one and two i got uh one right in each and i got two wrong so yeah.
0: <laughs> come on mate uh, i think you'll get one easy i'm I'm, I'm not good at i'm not good at this you'll get my tell but we'll, we'll see right okay so yeah not, no pressure on me da, da, da. um so number one one time yeah. i, I I pulled a hamstring when having to run onto the pitch one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Number the two, I I once accidentally concussed myself celebrating a goal. And number three, on my first day on the job, yeah. I had to end up taking a player to hospital for an emergency surgery. That's about
1: emergency surgery. Um then you can cut yourself celebrating. Oh, the managers that have managed the club that you work for aren't overly energetic managers. So I don't know why you'd be jumping around on the on the bench. So I'm gonna go the truth is you pulled a hamstring while running onto the pitch. Your first game you took a player for a an emergency surgery and the lie is you accidentally concussed yourself celebrating a goal. Um, obviously in light of COVID and obviously pre-COVID, I thought it'd be great to just first get some insight into what a typical sort of match day is like, obviously within your sort of role as a,
0: a Prem Doctor. Um, what, pre-COVID or now or how's it working?
1: Yeah, pre, pre-COVID in contrast, cause obviously it's, it's changed quite a lot. Um,
0: what's the sort of nuances between the two of them? Well, same, same, but different. Same... Same but different. Well, in terms of what I have to do and, you know, the rest of the medical team, we're very focused. And we, what we kind of do is a very similar. So, you know, for us, we tend yeah. to be in the hotel in the, either morning or night before the game. Um, so all the players will have breakfast, check if they need anything, have their relevant treatments. And, you know, we prepare, we prepare in advance anything they'll need during the warm up or just before we go out onto the pitch. So that's in terms of what I do, assessing the players, yeah. helping with the plans, and you know administering treatments as necessary. That has stayed the same. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of what has changed, it's kind of like if you imagine it as we're like in the middle, right, and it's all circling out. The middle mm-hmm. has kind of stayed the same, right? But all the stuff sort of yeah. um, orbiting around it, if you will, has changed. Obviously, no fans. Less people are allowed to games, uh, um, as in less staff are allowed to games. Less medical staff. Um, we all have a clinical passport now, so you can only go even get in if you had a negative COVID test within a few days of a te- of a match. And it's all just a lot. It's all just a lot quieter, you know, just a lot yeah. quieter. Um, and
1: also I've noticed as well that, that you're obviously get, getting more face time on the TV as well because no one's panning the camera to the fans. <laughs> I mean, well. I
0: wouldn't know, but I mean, it's probably, you know, if you see if you see me on, I've probably been despairing, who knows.
1: <laughs> and what's, what's that almost like? I can imagine obviously yourself obviously being a big football fan as well. You must obviously have an, uh, a sort of an away ground that you love going to and then another away ground that you absolutely hate going to. Without there being any fans, what's that sort of like for you in terms of in terms of doing your work and obviously enjoying the work uh, as well? You know
0: what? You know what? I'm sure it varies for everyone, yeah. But for me, like when you're when you're kind of there, you're so focused on the game, like you you miss the fans, but mm. like you're so you're so focused on the game. It's kind of it's kind of the same for a lot of it. Like when they're before the match, you know, you're just focusing. Okay, who is who's the starting eleven? What is going on with them? You know, what do we need to make sure they're fit, they're happy, they're ready to go, right? Um, and then once that once that whistle goes, your eyes are on the game. You're like, all right, okay, is anyone looking injured or carrying a knock or any problems, anything I need to see again on the tablet in terms of injury? So you're so focused on, like, not messing up, not making a mistake and, you know, making sure that you're on the ball. Yeah. Um, you can zone it out. What I would say is that at, at times during the game, all of a sudden you're like, "Oh wow, it's really quiet." Like when you hear a challenge and like you can actually hear every little bit of contact, and all of a sudden you're hearing the away team yeah. bench and the away team manager say something. You're like, "Oh, God, mate. Yeah, these are these are sounds I'm not used to," you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, a, a as little well. bit like being ringside in a boxing match
0: yeah 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 exactly exactly i tell you what as well yeah when they score that's the weird one when they score because you're like oh did it go in on because because mm. normally you get the feedback from the crowd immediately yeah the noise but sometimes like when they take yeah. a shot or whatever depending on your angle you're like oh is that go? is that in or it's like everything's just a little bit delayed um
1: the the one thing i've always wanted to almost find out as well typically because of the club that i support in arsenal yeah. is that um, like on a match day, obviously the the team shoot has been announced, and then you hear that a player's pulled up within, obviously like within the warm up. How does that message get communicated on on a on a match day, like from the players to the coaching staff, to then you, and then to the manager, and then to us as the fans, and then to the guys in the studios? You know,
0: just <laughs> what, so what if then. someone? So how, how does that
1: stuff get? What, get so communicated? someone has to
0: get pulled in the um, in the warm up. Pulls their
1: hamstring or anything like within a warm within the warm up.
0: Yeah, well. If, uh... Well, as you can imagine, it, everything has to happen quick. So, the the, the player or the fitness yeah. coach will give the feedback immediately to myself. Um, myself and one of the physios will go assess the player straight away. And then, obviously, the thing is, what happens is that the um, the Premier League have to know. There's, a, there's like a Premier League rep there, and they have to know in terms of like the match day. There's like a match day like lead or coordinator who needs to know who's in the starting eleven and what's going mm. on. So. Once, once we know that the player has to change or whatever, we tell one of our members of our team, so like uh, the player liaison or like player operations manager, and they will liaise with the Premier okay, League yeah. and say, listen, we have to make a last-minute change to our first eleven, and then presumably that will go straight up to you know Sky Sports and all them. But but yeah, it's like a, it's like a domino. Yeah. It all happens very very quickly.
1: Yeah. Cause it because it because it happened so quickly because like i'm watching the game either there on tv then i see oh hang on a minute like ozil's, ozil's no longer in the team show, and i'm hearing gary neville say something and then and the anchor say and i'm thinking what's 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 going on but i think that takes the question right right nicely onto see that the middle part of the segment now that obviously the listeners have some insight into what a typical sort of match day is like in terms of just sort of in terms of burnout and injury really, I think it's it's a big thing that we sort of spoke about in season one, especially with the introduction for the first time of the winter break. Um, In terms of obviously seeing the, um, the, obviously with lockdown, the players have been almost off for about three months or so. And I'll just literally speak in the second episode with, a lady who works within the sort of the football and sports space with event organising. Just looking at the the sheer amounts of tournaments and games that have been postponed. Whether you want to look at the Euros to the African Cup of Nations, how does that almost all that all that stuff come together and affect you guys within within the club and within your role, having to to manage the the, the burnout and fatigue of players and communicating that with with, with clubs and countries. Obviously, like with your club, and, and uh, so what and do
0: you mean? So, like, how do we avoid kind of avoiding burnout or manage it? And do you mean in this particular situation or kind of in general?
1: Just, just sort of in general, really. Because like if I look at, um, for example, like back in back in February, obviously uh, Klopp was obviously saying a lot of stuff within the media in terms of um, obviously playing the kids and there was a controversy yeah, in, terms that, remember, of, that, yeah. in terms of in terms of oh, I'm giving my boys. I'm giving my boys some time off, and, um, and and almost looking at that, my argument at the time was, okay, I get it. Sadio Mane played, I think, the African Cup of Nations that, that year as well, he played a lot of football consistently, same with people like Salah, and other players I didn't believe, outside looking in, weren't in the red zone. So, for example, someone like Oxlade-Chamberlain, who was barely getting minutes, or someone like Shakiri barely getting minutes. How is that sort of stuff sort of mapped out in terms of understanding who's in the red zone and and, uh, and who's not and who is ready to play, especially with the congestion of all these all these games.
0: Good question, good question. I would say I would I would respond to that by saying the main thing is communication, right? it's a, mm. it's, a it's a fine balance and it all boils down to very, very close communication. All right, we talk a lot about burnout and you know injury avoidance and load management, things like that. Yeah. But you've got to remember by and large, these players are fit, yeah? They're super fit. Mm. They're athletes, all right? So don't worry about them too much. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about them too much. <laughs> but it's about being attuned to what they're feeling and what they need. It varies from player to player. So if we talk about it practically, right? The most important thing is we do well being every day for the players, okay? So that will just be yeah. general muscle soreness. How do you feel? How do you sleep? This, that, and the other, right? So we've got some object- we've got some subjective data, okay? So that's just how they feel, what's going on. We then have objective yeah. data. So that's the sports scientists looking really closely at, you know, how far they're running, how many sprints they're doing, their strength numbers, um, all sorts of things, right? So we've got subjective data that we look at. We've got objective data. On top of that, we know the players. So we have to know what players need individually. If you're a young 22-year-old, you've never had an injury in your life and you want to play every single game, then the idea of sort of burnout and managing this and that plays less of a role. Furthermore, if you're not an international, then we don't have to worry about that extra dynamic. But if you're 32, you've had a previous knee surgery, you're an international, And you're a regular player so you play every week that's when the art and science of it all comes together if that makes sense yeah so we have to then be that's when communication comes in i x how are you feeling right okay fine you're feeling a little bit okay your back's tightened up your knee's sore okay let me look at the knee is it swollen is it click starting to click right okay then look at his own data oh actually this you know he did less sprints this week some something's not quite right there the other day he recovered less um, ground and then it then it's, then it's about rotation um, yeah. it's, and and that and that's how you manage it that's how you manage burnout figuring out where the players are at and trying to keep them in that level if they're in the red zone it's difficult but it also comes down to the needs the needs of the team
1: yeah and I was just about to come on to that because if I think back to someone like Marcus Rashford in terms of obviously that time when he was obviously carrying that back injury and then obviously he played in the game, I, f- I forgot exactly the game, they needed to win, obviously pushing for the top four, he then gets injured and was out for a few months, um, like let's say the season hadn't stopped, obviously they missed out on the Champions League and then he was fit to come back and play in the in the euros and then obviously the new season starts and he goes in there and he and he then picks up another injury it's almost a question of who's really at fault for that is it almost the the guys at england for playing him in the tournament when he's not 100 percent fit is it the fault of the the chief executive saying that we need to get top four to make x amount of money so we want to play our best players is it the manager pushing like it's all these stakeholders involved in, in these sorts of Okay.
0: so okay I do have a response yeah. to that yeah because I agree with you there are yeah. lots of stakeholders involved right A lot of stakeholders involved yeah but don't and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn you know I hope if any players I've worked with don't want them to think anything of me but players equally can make decisions okay I don't want anyone yeah. underestimating the players so Marcus Rashford I don't know him I haven't met him okay but if yeah. he's like any other young hungry player I'm telling you he wants to play he wants to play for Manchester yeah, United Football course. Club. He wants to add goals. He wants to get. I don't know, he probably wants to get an appearance fee or goal bonus. You know, who knows? Yeah, there's there's there's, mm. there's other factors at play there. So a lot of these players, you don't you ain't got to tell them that they have to play. That, that 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 that's it's an interesting dynamic that people talk about. But that happens. I can't personally. I can't remember that happening in my career. I'm sure that actually happens more rarely mm. than people think. More often than not, it's the other way. Me saying, you know what? Uh, mate I think you should tell the manager that uh, you know maybe you should be for 45 minutes like no man I'm playing I'm playing it's it's, no, yeah, it's normally yeah, yeah. actually the other way around when you talk about burnout it's probably you know it's probably because yeah. the, the international and the clubs they talk very closely nowadays now, nowadays okay. from my experience anyway so we'll say we'll, we'll normally especially of England and stuff you actually send them the sports science data you send them the data you send them like a report how they've been over the last three weeks prior to meeting up with their international squads. So they've got the information. But you know, they have to make they have to make their own decisions. You've got to accept that they're an they're an autonomous unit. England have their own mm. um, goals separate to this premier this Premier League club. And the player has their own goals. It's, it's it's incredibly rare and I haven't seen it that a player's genuinely been forced to play. Yeah? I haven't seen it now yeah. whether a player feels forced to play that's a good question that is a very good question
1: yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think I definitely do agree with you in terms of I think definitely is the way where you are probably be in the year saying listen I, I don't think you should play a full night I mean, it's because players players like you mentioned do want to play and and the sort of question that I have just sort of following on and leading on from that is is the whole idea if you sort of mentioned it earlier in terms of managing players differently in individual. of course like within within the team that you work with, there's a there's a, there's a player in there who has obviously a history of, of injuries and sort of in terms of um, sort of managing that. How, how do you sort of deal with players when they're on that long road to recovery of consistently getting long-term injuries from a sort of wellbeing, mental health sort of perspective? How do you sort of support support those players? And, and, and how has the sort of mental mental health and wellbeing piece sort of changed um,
0: um, well, again, like I know you're gonna you're gonna get sick of me saying it, but it is about communication. Mm. It's about communication. That's, that's, that's your no buzzword, air. isn't it? It is my buzzword because <laughs> I'm just a, such a strong believer in it. I'm just yeah. such a strong believer in it. So anything you hear from me will be about communication. But it's about communication, and it's also yeah. about creating an environment. Yeah. So on the on the road to, on the road to recovery, and you know, players as you said, who've had trouble with injuries in the past, it's about Firstly, firstly, making sure they know. It's, it's about firstly making sure they know that they're still valued, right? Mm. For me, it's about making sure, you know, that listen, you're injured at the moment, but we know what you can do. We know what you're capable of doing. And we, we've, we've got shared goals. We've got shared goals. And those goals are regularly reviewed. Mm. So once they feel that they're in the loop, they're in control, then then we've got something to work with and you've got to be constantly asking them you know how are you feeling today how do you want to go about things you know are you happy with how it's going what 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 are your goals what are your expectations are you expecting to get back to the level you are i've had players who said listen doc actually at my stage of my career i'm thinking about i want to be able to play tennis or with my daughter when she grows up or i want to be able to go skiing I'm not even thinking about coming back to football but it's about understanding what's important to the player and and actually caring,
1: mm. and
0: if you care, then they feel at ease. Right, in, in terms of from a a well-being perspective, that's generally that's that's generally most of what you can do. You can just be what it is a team. Yeah, you be a team. You make them feel part of a team, part of the family, and make them feel that if they need to open up, they can open up, and that their concerns are being taken seriously. If you go about it like, oh, we need you back as soon as, oh, why are getting injured or, you know, getting frustrated or when they're having setbacks, then things are going to break down. Things are going to break down.
1: What's your your sort of obviously feelings in terms of obviously like the league has come back in terms of obviously players had that sort of winter break. Um, Obviously they've had like a sort of three month sort of layoff period. What's your feeling in terms of obviously like the rate of of injuries, a players in the treatment room more or or anything of the sort or, or
0: hmm, good question actually. So far, touch wood, no. So far, we've been we've been okay from our from our perspective. I would say a lot more players are engaged. said, I'll never underestimate a player because I think players know the game and they know themselves mm. best. So I've been really happy with their response. Um, they're engaging really well with the recovery process, more than more than mm. usual. Um, coming in for treatment from the masseurs, from the physiotherapists, um, you know, taking care of their sleep. That's what I've noticed differently. Yeah. Um, whereas, so, for, so say for example, right, normally, and this is not a criticism of any player, right, but normally after a game, a lot of them get trained to mm. go home. Normal, right? And best form of recovery is probably mm. sleep. But now, i'm seeing more players say you know before i go home do some yoga let me just go and get the physio to, you know let me go and get the physio to have a look at me let me use the foam roller <laughs> for 20 minutes then go on yeah. the bike do an active recovery maybe get a massage and a stretch might take an extra 40 minutes then i go home and it's just about you know as i said it's, it's not about being a a dictator it's just about you know having having the stuff available for the players, making sure they're educated, and making the decisions that they want to make. And, yeah. So that's what I've noticed,
1: and uh, and definitely in terms of obviously talks, obviously the league ends on the twenty sixth of July, with uh, sort of like a three week I believe period, and then it's it's going to come back um, a lot of games in a short period of time. You've controversially uh, been of the view that um, unlimited subs is the way forward. Uh, I sort of disagree, but I'd love to hear yeah. hear your um, interesting perspective, uh,
0: Matt. <laughs> For me, the more I think about it, the more I think I think it's yeah. logical, and I think it's revolutionary. Like unlimited subs. Like, why why are people actually against it? It's just is it just because they don't like change or or what? Like yeah. again, this is just my individual opinion. Just just pondering football. But I think number mm. one. It helps protect the player as an individual um, who has the occupational yeah. risk of injury. If they can manage their minutes and, you know, their minutes and their exposure—that's what we, that's what we, the word we'd use—their exposure to high-level competition more effectively, more scientifically, then it keeps them safer. And if you want to think of it from a more corporate point of view, that's that's therefore protecting to me the asset. Yeah. I'd never say that myself. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, yeah? If you're protecting the individual, protecting the player, you're also protecting the, the asset. But in injury is a serious thing, man. It's it's career changing. It's potentially life changing. Financially, can change the the outlook for any individual. So anything we can do to to be able to control that injury risk better, yeah. whilst not degrading the integrity of the game, I, I'm all for. Secondly, I actually think it would make the game more interesting. Oh, yeah. it would add an extra dimension anyway, from a tactical point of view. From a sort of, yeah, from a from a tactical point of view, from a game plan point of view. Rotation, I think it'll give more players opportunities. You'll see you'll see more players get their chance. Maybe, you know, you want young players, yeah. don't you? Yeah, okay. We had three substitutes. We're doing well. You know what? We make another two. Let give these guys 15 yeah, minutes. And yeah. you never know, yeah. mate. Wayne Rooney come on and, and banged in a goal against Arsenal, changed his yeah. whole career. Apparently
1: after the game, he went home on his bike yeah. as well. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, yeah, that's I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that, like, and and I'm a big. I'm actually a. I, I follow basketball very closely, and um, sort of getting into the NFL. And they've got unlimited yeah. subs, and all that does, yeah, it doesn't degrade the quality of the game at all. all. It does is it adds extra. I get what you're saying. It adds See an extra is? layer of tactical. Moves. I think
1: I think what you're. I think, what, I think what you're saying I think is, is good but I think the difference between NFL is there's no sort of transfer window so players move on that sort of um, trade trade sort of perspective I think my issue with it is that if I look at a game like Norwich uh, versus Man City I think they beat them th- 3-1 or 3-2 early in the season and I think to myself if Man City had about five more 50 million pound players or whoever they have on the bench on that day whether it was Aguero, David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez and Sane and they're allowed to bring them all on I don't see a world where Norwich probably be going to even win that game because I think if I look at it there's already a big huge gulf between the teams at the top and the teams um, sort of to the bottom of the table and it's almost like by introducing that sort of unlimited subs, uh, subs into the game it's almost going to increase that in terms of I don't know what sort of role financial fair play is playing with it, but I think the route to go down before, I know you're itching to get in there, I think the route to go down more is, I think, reducing maybe the fixture congestion within the game to sort of stop players playing too many Tuesday to Saturday, Wednesday to Saturday games. I think it's probably more of a route to go down rather than adding more of an advantage to the bigger teams, if you see what I mean.
0: Right, okay. I hear you, but... I actually, I disagree with okay. you on this, okay? And can yeah, I explain okay. why? Because one, cause someone else said this to me, and I said, no, 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 you're seeing this mm. all wrong. And maybe I'm just seeing it from a doctor's yeah, perspective, yeah. yeah? But the first thing you got to remember is these bigger teams are better yeah. anyway. They're better anyway, yeah? So you're saying about, oh, if they could sub on five more world-class players, they've already got six or seven more world-class players in them, mm. right? What you would do, what you would do is, I believe, you would actually decrease the gap between teams because what it would yeah. do is it would actually help remove fatigue as a factor. Fatigue is a big factor. You see teams. You you're a football fan. There are teams that big teams, you know, who have got that that sports and strengthing sorry that strength and conditioning resources. Yeah. yeah? You see them scoring late in games and that is down to fatigue. Fatigue is a bigger factor than people yeah, make I out. See you coming from. Yeah? So number one, fatigue. And number two, what you would also reduce is the tactical rigidity associated with some of the smaller yeah. teams. If you're a big team, mate, you can do what you want. You can change up, oh, I'll play i f I'll play three at the back this time and I'll have my two wing backs, okay, then I'll play a four through three. Whereas if you're a, if you're a limit if you're a team that's limited anyway and you're limited in the type of players you can play, yeah. which players You're playing more rigidly, whereas if it's tough, oh, you know what, what we'll do is, for the first 15 minutes, we'll do this, then we're gonna swap, we'll put a winger on, we'll we'll try and mess them up a little bit and pull it wide. Then what we're gonna do is, in the last 15 minutes, you know what, I'm gonna bring two extra centre-backs on, if we're still level, and and try and shut up shop. That that actually adds extra layers of sophistication in which you can try and come back against these big Mm. teams. Where is at the status quo? they've got the better players yeah. already. They've got the fitter players already. I can. I can do you know what is? I can. I could
1: I can see what you mean. But then I think on the other flips. I It's no, no. a good. It's a good point. <laughs> I never thought of. But I can. I can. I can slightly see an instance whereby the point you mentioned is true. Fatigue. The amount of late goals that are scored within the Premier League. But then on the flip side of it, is adding. I don't know. It's swapping the resolute defender who's been heading and clearing away challenges for, for for 85 minutes and adding in a fresh leg. Is that gonna do anything worse or better? I remember a game where, where I think Arsenal would draw a 1-1 with Barcelona, I believe, and then we bring on Flamini into position to almost solidify, I think, a draw or whatever it gonna be. And he gives away a penalty and almost makes situation worse because as a sub, you have to come in and get attuned and adjusted to the game. So I don't think it's as simple as saying
0: well, the rules, that's not the, that's not the it's, rules' it's, it's for. It? It. It's, it's not the rules' for.
1: but at the same time, is is bringing on a player in that sort of late stage going to add to solidifying the final result? I don't know. I, I do believe that where adding substitutions in the game does work is the unfortunate situations whereby a team has used all of their substitutions and the player gets carried off or stretched off and they have to play with 10 men. I think in those instances, I'd be more willing to to go on, have a substitution, go on, you, you, you deserve it mate, go on, take it, but. Oh,
0: Paul, you're thinking too small mate. You're nah, do you know what it is? Small. I want to see, see seven, I want to see seven, seven years. Years. <laughs> Little ten minute burst, every Galactico going. Nah, I
1: think it's, def- I think it's definitely, <laughs> a, a, definitely a big point and I think it's a point that people should push out there, because obviously IF, IFAB obviously were the ones who introduced the whole, five sub-rule for this sort of period, so interesting to see what, what sort of comes out for it, but what's your, what's your sort of views in terms of what guys like Jurgen Klopp and Pep advocate for, which is scrap the League Cup like the like the French League have done with their um, second domestic trophy uh, and effectively remove FA Cup replays, what, what's your sort of take on that to help? Because if, if you look at it, a lot of teams in the sort of smaller end, they prioritise uh, relegation, obviously, and survival, and staying, and tend to almost write off those those um, sort of cup games anyway. So, what's your sort of take and taking view on that?
0: Well, I think I disagree. I'd say if I if you if you had, if you put a gun to my head, I'd say I yeah. disagree. And the reason why I disagree is, firstly, listen, end of the day, the games are the games. The games are the best part. This is again. This is yeah. just me. Yeah, the games are the best part, right? So, you know, to get rid of games is am I for that or or not? Not sure. Now we're talking about the League Cup, right? Firstly, it's easy for the big clubs to say yeah. this, right? Because okay, fine, I'll, let's get let's get rid of Carlin Cup Mickey or Mouse whatever Cup. it's called yeah, now yeah. because <laughs> because we're because we're in the Champions League semi. All right, cool. But they do realise that okay, there's a big. Was it big five now? Top five, yeah. top six. How many other teams are going to have a chance to win in the league in a ten-year period? Like these for these players, it's an opportunity play Wembley, to yeah. play at Wembley for you know it could be one time in their whole career or to um, you know to win a cup. It's an, opp- it's an It's an added opportunity, and you know I think you just need to be mindful that when you're when you're taking away these things, there's actually individuals behind yeah. it with um you know with asp- with aspirations and it's it's very easy to th- think about how, what the big clubs and how the big clubs operate. Um, you know, they are the they are the sort of they're the honey to the yeah. Bee, yeah. you know, the honey to the bee, so to speak. But, you know, just knowing individual footballers and stuff, you know, they look back and they say, you know, we got that good result and then we got to play at Anfield it's a big part journey. of journey. Their careers a big part for the clubs and to just get rid of a cup competition when You've only got four. You've only got th- what's it? Three domestic cups, right? Mm. So you only get you only get three opportunities to win a cup, of which the Premier League most teams aren't going to win. And you only get a couple a year, and that's what football's all about, yeah. no? It's not just about churning out matches for the sake of it. Let's uh, let's have games that mean something. If the fact that you're a big club, so you choose not to, you choose not to make the Carabao Cup a big deal. Okay, that's on you. But to someone else, it is a big deal. Yeah, playing at Wembley, winning a trophy at Wembley is your dream. You've dreamt about it for your whole life.
1: No, I definitely do agree with you. And when I sort of had had that sort of discussion back then, I'm I'm quite romantic about these sort of cup competitions in terms of the the, the smaller team from from the National League or League Two coming to coming to Old Trafford and uh, and uh, and sort of getting a replay or or playing in a little small park like stadium and getting getting to go and play play at Old Trafford and not get some cash in the cash in the bank really. So I agree with you as well. I think it's a great opportunity for for players to obviously win a trophy and I think I think it's an interesting one because I think that there definitely needs to be a question around your crazy idea of unlimited subs, reducing fixtures, potentially which is not my opinion, scrapping cup competitions, to sort of deal with this whole sort of um sort of congestion that I think definitely does uh, affect affect clubs and does affect players in some sort of way but it's now come to the time to obviously reveal your answers to what the foot are you lying for
0: Why lying for oh is it oh that time yeah. already is it oh it's a shame I was enjoying it Um, right okay so you want me to reveal the answers yeah right okay so I had to take a player to the hospital for an emergency surgery on my first day in the job that awesome. is let's get rid- that is true. True. <laughs> That's okay. true. Literally, me bedding in. <laughs> I, mean, oh, I remember that. I was just looking at this player, thinking he's not getting better. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I gave him some painkillers, and I was thinking, ah, nah, something's not right. About two hours later, I was like, okay, yeah, he's got to go. We got to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, that was. But yeah, you know, like that, that, that woke me up. <laughs> um, so that what is true. A I once accidentally concussed myself celebrating a goal. That is true. <laughs> oh my goodness, I've lost it again this week. So what happened? I can't remember. It was an away game, right? And I was on the I was in the dugout and we scored and I jumped up and I banged my head at the top of like, because you know the bench, you can't be oh, like banged my head, right? And I filmed it. it. I firmed it. I started- I don't think anyone I worked with actually knows. I firmed yeah. it. And I remember the next three days, I was just I was in a daze. Like, I couldn't you see, just see it. stars in like, it. I was having little, little dizzy spells. I was like, man, I'm fully concussed, you know. But luckily, I had a day off, I didn't have to, like, you know, see any players or anything like that. So I just didn't drive and sort of took it easy, and I, and it shook off. But I was thinking, man, I was in a daze, which oh means my the, goodness. the one that was alive lie was once pulling my hamstring while running onto the pitch. Recently, actually, my hamstring did go into spasm, but it technically, technically, wasn't a wasn't it? tear.
1: Oh, I wasn't a tear. <laughs> so close. Do you know what it is? I've lost it again. I've lost two, one, three weeks in a row. So I'm uh, losing six, three against the guests. Hopefully uh, next week I can bring it back. But um, but Matthew, pleasure is... a uh, pleasure. Is, I just called you by your full government name there. But but Matt, <laughs> pleasure, pleasure for having you, having you on. It was great to obviously deep dive into your world as a Premier League club doctor An inspiration to many with the sort of stuff that you're doing. And just great, great to find out more about injuries, what it's like on a typical match day. And guys, if you loved uh, today's episode, not liked it, if you loved it, download, subscribe, rate and review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy?
0: What the footy? What the footy? What the footy?
1: New knew Sam Allardyce liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. a kid in primary school, now it's <laughs> <supporting laughs> in Powerful wrestling.
0: people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also, they need to be represented the right way.
1: Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh,
0: based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the,
1: Let's win in the league. Let's just win this to appease the
0: fans. As a parent, no two days are ever the same.
1: Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink.
0: Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just 2 bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.